being an entrepreneur is the best personal growth work that anyone can do. Biz Women Rock, episode 76. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and this entire podcast is here so that you can access great stories from phenomenal businesswomen from all over the world who are here to share their journeys with you. My guest today is Jamila Payne, who's the founder of The Soul Purpose Company. Now, I got to tell you, even though her company is fairly new, her entrepreneurial experience is tremendous, which includes a very successful online business time that she spent in Africa and is putting all of her energy into this business to really fulfill her purpose in life. She is tremendously interesting and there is a lot of meat in this conversation. So let's get on with it. Jamila, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you so much, Katie, for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you. All right. You are a fellow podcaster. And just for that, I love being able to uh, to be able to have you on here and tell your story. But more so than that, my goodness, girl, you had pages and pages of accolades as far as what you have done in this world so far and um, and all the very unique things that you've done within the space of business. So I'm so excited to be able to share your journey with everyone today. Um, but I want to lay a really good groundwork for that. You have been very, very entrepreneurial ever since you were a little girl. So can you talk a little bit about kind of who you were as a kid and what sort of like business mentality that you had growing up? Yes. Yeah, so I was really fortunate that I had parents that never told me no. They really um, sort of respected my ingenuity and gave me the space to do different things. So for example, As a kid, when my girlfriends were playing jump rope, I would be sitting on the front steps reading Black Enterprise and Entrepreneurship Magazine. So I was always very into business. Um, I started my first company cleaning up um, hair and landscaping at hair salons. And then by the time I was in high school, I had a jewelry business that was making $500 a week. What? Come in high school? In high school. You're kidding me. What kind of jewelry? Like, were you making this jewelry? Or, like, was it? were you, like, buying and selling it? It was gold-filled beads, which at the time was a really big thing. So I would bead the bands of necklaces and bracelets and earrings and then sell them to, the, to my classmates. And then I really got going with distribution. I started on Saturdays going to local hair salons and... At the hair salon is a really captivated audience because the everyone's stuck under the dryer. So you can just <laughs> you can just go around and show my jewelry and people would buy things and sometimes they would place an order and then I would bring it back the following Saturday. It got to the point where the seniors, the guys who were seniors started investing in my business. So they what? would give me like a hundred dollars one week and then I would flip it by the following week, giving them back money with interest. And um, and just continue to grow my business. Oh my god! Okay, I'm so fascinated by this. So, okay, so I I'm a part of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program, and I literally last night my little sister and I were sitting down, and she's 13 years old. She's about to go into high school, and we were having the conversation about um, 
like finances and money. And, um, you know, I, I had mentioned to her the richest man in Babylon. And if you're not familiar with that, it's all about like kind of the long term 10% savings here, 10% investment here, 10% just for all of the, the money you have, right? So the, we're having this whole financial. I love that book. I do too. I think it's so awesome and so foundational. It's such a great story too. But, um, you know, so we're having this whole conversation and I'm, you know, kind of explaining this way of looking at money and being able to sort of build a foundation of finances. What did you know about finances back then? And how are you managing this money? Because it's one thing to have a high school kid who's, you know, selling stuff and selling candy and selling jewelry, but you were actually moving that money and you were doing something with that money. So what kind of knowledge did you have or what did you know? And what kind of, how were you making sure that you were actually moving your money well? You know, Katie, it was, it was really just trial and error. Um, as a lot of us entrepreneurs start out, we're just like, you know, figuring it out as we go along. But I will say that the catalyst for me was after I had had several businesses, I finally enrolled in a program that was hosted by the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, also known as NIFTI. And NIFTI is a, an international program, and it's offered in many cities around the country. And it's a perfect program for youth entrepreneurs to be able to go and get business training. So I did like a 10-week workshop or something like that on Saturdays uh, while I was in eighth or ninth grade, and that really began the, the opportunity for me to be able to hone my business skills and learn what it meant to put together a business plan and develop, um, as Steve Mariotti, the founder, always says, the economics of one unit and really begin to get a bigger framework around what it meant to be an entrepreneur. Wow. So walk me through exactly like the kind of evolution of that jewelry business in high school. So what did you end up selling that business? Did you end up, you know, continuing that for a long time? Where did that go? It went really well. In fact, um, I got to a point where I started getting really creative in the business. So I mentioned I started selling in hair salons. Then I expanded my distribution to also selling to a local nursing home. Uh, because nurses are also a captive audience. They're stuck at work. And so I would go to the nursing station with my jewelry, and I did really good business there. Then here, here's where the entrepreneurial journey really began. Then I got my first competitor. So Ooh. some of my customers started disappearing in school, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, this other woman named Keisha had started selling jewelry. So he was undercutting me on the prices, Katie. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to get inventive. So I did a partnership with a jeweler down on Jewelers Row in Philadelphia, and he started making nameplates for me. So now I had completely differentiated my products because nobody else had these nameplates. So then I would beat the bands for these nameplates. And then just really grew. I was charging $65 for these oh my bracelets gosh. with the high school kids. Holy so, cow. I know. So people could get like their name played like this, you know, the, the guys, for example, for Valentine's Day would get like Everett Hart, Melissa on a name plate. And so eventually I just kept going until I got to a point where I could see that the market was shifting. There was a change happening People were slowing down buying, you know, gold-filled jewelry. I forget what the next trend became, 
then I eventually just started to wind down the business and went on to doing something else. So I, I got out before the market crashed. <laughs> <laughs> were you were you like saving all of your income at this point? Or was it just always going back into the business with more inventory and just building out the business? Or did you end with like a fund to now go use for whatever you're going to do next? Yeah, all of the above. So I was definitely saving a, a lot of the money to be able to do some of the things that I wanted to do. I was you know, I was really fortunate. I didn't really have to want for much with my parents, but I was that kid that was always afraid to ask for things. So it felt really good if I wanted, you know, a pair of sneakers or an outfit or to get my hair done to be able to have my own little stash of, of money that I could do those things with. But I also um, saved, I'm a, like a, a fundamental saver, so I always saved money and then I was constantly investing back into the business so they could grow. So once kind of the the closing down of your jewelry business happened, what was your next entrepreneurial endeavor? After college, I had started a mail order retail business um, selling women's apparel and accessories that was focused on independent designers. And I also carried some well-known brands, but it was primarily focused on independent designers. So we carried like DCBG, Rebecca Taylor, French Connection, because women knew what their sizes were in those companies, I was able to be able, I was able to get customers to shop with me online and buy the independent designers because they were hanging next to brands that they were already familiar with. So uh, what year was this that you launched this? That was in 2001. So 2001, ordering clothes online was not as popular, nearly as popular as what it is now. So how did you actually build that up? Like, how did you do that whole online retail? And how are you getting the word out about it? Yeah, that's a great question, Katie. At that time, it was a lot of hustle. The marketing landscape was completely different at that time. I was really one of the early pioneers in having an online boutique. Like, there was my shop and a few other shops, uh, like Girl Shop and and you know, places that don't even exist anymore. So what I did is I really focused on two areas, which I felt were my strengths. Well, three areas. One was partnerships. So at that time, you could reach out to another online entrepreneur who had a website or blog, and you could say, hey, can we partner together? I'm I would be happy to put your logo on my website if you would do an email blast to your list about my business. There was no like affiliate program or any of that stuff. It was just like, you know, hustle, building relationships and being able to, to form those partnerships. So that was a, a major catalyst for me. The second thing was um, getting press. So I was very good about telling my story, putting together a press kit, and having a regular regimen of sending out releases and press kits to national magazines. So at one point, Katie, I was featured in over 65 different local and national programs and doing like local TV segments on NBC where I was having fashion segments to show off my clothes. And so I was really fortunate to be able to get in like InStyle magazine and, and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and Entrepreneur. So that was definitely significant for me getting business. And then the third thing was events. 
I had a knack for putting on events. And so twice a year, we would hold this huge shopping event called the Fashion Trunk Show, where we were able to bring together 750 women in the area together for all day shopping, makeovers, manicures, cocktails, and hors d'oeuvres. And I would have all of the independent designers there at that event who could sell their wares and merchandise and women would purchase a ticket to attend this event. Wow. Okay. Who in the world was helping you with this? Because what what I don't know if everyone really gets is that having an online business is a business in and of itself. That is an, that's an entire beast in and of itself. Having doing events is an entirely different beast in and of itself. So, who was helping you put all this stuff together? Like, what were did you have interns working with you? Were friends sort of helping you out? Like, what was what was the team that was putting this all together? Yeah, so I would say at my peak, I probably had five people working with me, and oftentimes, like two or three of them were interns. So I went to Drexel University, which has a co-op program. So the way that we did school is you went to school for six months and you worked for six months. So I would often bring in co-op students because I would have them for six months, which was a lot better than a traditional internship where people may not be as committed because they're just coming for 10 or 20 hours a week. So these were full-time students working in my business for six months out of the year. And so that was a large way that I staffed. Um, my team. And then in addition to that, I would have contractors during the time of the events that would focus on managing the vendors and making sure that we were getting the right designers to participate and helping out with sponsors. And then I would have other team members that were helping with more of the day-to-day of running the online business. And what were some of the major effects that you saw from putting on this big event? It was tremendous, Katie. So I'll say the the big lesson learned is when I first started doing these events, they were smaller events. It was just me doing a trunk show in an art gallery where we would have anywhere between 50 and 100 people show up on a Thursday night to see a, a fashion show of what we had available online. And then after that, they would buy their merchandise. Well, what I learned very quickly, now these events would probably do, you know, a thousand or two thousand dollars. What I learned very quickly after doing 10 of those kinds of events in six months is that I was, it was like not sustainable. I was running around all the time trying to get people to show up to these events. It was a lot of work. Like you said, running online was one business, but then having these constant events was a whole nother monster. So I made a big shift. So thank goodness I had a really good business center who suggested that I try to scale up the event. So that's when I decided that I would bring in the other designers to get them to collaborate. Well, they all had audiences too. So the event shifted from an event that would have 50 to 100 people to having 750 people and, you know, the the most we ever did on one of those trunk show events was about you know, upwards of $30,000. Wow. And so, all, of, all yeah. of a sudden, that's a lot more worth your time and you're doing exactly. a lot less of them, but um, but really collaborating with a lot of other people to do them. Yeah. So that was a big shift and a big lesson learned. And uh, 
it's important to, to utilize your time really, really well and get leverage where you can. And collaborating was the key to, to making that big shift in my business. It really got people to buy online just by introducing them to the brand in person. Now, you mentioned something there that your your mentor really helped you hash out, which was scaling up. Now, you, I've seen this title in who, in somebody who just, you know, in your description of who you are is a sustainable business person. Um, what does that really mean? And what advice can you give about people who want to have their business be sustainable? So for me, to be a sustainable business person really means that I'm considering um, people, planet, profit, and that I'm operating within my purpose. And I think particularly for women, we're driven by our purpose. It's the reason why we often start businesses. It's not really for anything else except for we, we want to live our purpose and make a big difference in the world. I think it's also really important, uh, particularly for women, to be financially sustainable in their businesses. And so um, I developed a, a, a framework, which I call finding your sustainability number. And it really helps entrepreneurs to figure out how much money is it that you really need to be uh, financially whole and operating as a business. Because I think a lot of times people say, oh, I'll pay myself later, or I can wait to um, make an income. I'm not really looking for money right now. And that's an important shift that especially us as women have to begin to make so that we can be um, financially sustainable, but also make the difference in the world that we're looking to make through business. So the way that um, that we do it, Katie, is by starting with what um, what are all the expenses that are happening in the, in the business on a monthly basis? How much will it cost to run the business on a monthly basis? And then the second step is figuring out what is your desired salary, whether that's you know, 50000 or 100000 it'll be different for every single person, uh, figuring out what the desired salary is. And then adding those two numbers together, together to be able to get your expected revenue. So this becomes the number that you need to make in your business uh, to your revenue goal, essentially. And then it helps people. To, so I have this tool called the double-sided business plan, and I'm uh, happy to share it with the community so that they can go through it themselves, but it helps people to figure out their sustainability number. And so once you know, okay, this is the revenue number that I need to make in order to cover all of my expenses in my business and achieve the salary that I'm looking for, then the tool sort of walks you through figuring out what specific um, offers can be made in the business and what marketing activities have to be done in order to achieve that level of revenue. So you had uh, your Mila by Mail, which was your online um, women's fashion apparel business. You had that for seven years. And so you were constantly doing these events, having this online business. What was one of the major lessons that you learned throughout that seven years of running that business? Oh, wow, Katie, there were so many. So I would say one of the biggest lessons was to uh, begin to take myself out of the cycle of service. And the cycle of service is basically how the 
the product gets from you to the customer. So that entire process. And there were several things that happened to me within the business where I became the roadblock or barrier. So one example was I got a phone call one November from InStyle magazine saying that they were going to feature me in their November issue, uh, which on the title, the cover of the magazine was called 68 Fab Websites. And so they broke the site, they broke the, the section of the magazine down into categories. So there were like five people listed for food, five fashion, five fitness. So I was one of five businesses in the fashion category. They gave me 20 words, Katie, like no pictures, nothing else, 20 words. It says something like, mail by mail is like shopping at your best friend's closet, except for you never have to give it back. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Those 20 words generated over 400 orders in my business, and over 2,000 people joined my mailing list. Wow. It was amazing. I mean, that's something that you I mean, you can't plan or predict or know that it's going to happen in that way. But I had not done enough. So we are in our office. We did all the pick, pack, shipping, and delivery. But the phone was ringing off the hook. I had not taken myself enough out of the cycle of service so that we could quickly and successfully, you know, fill these orders. It got to a point where... And it should be an all-hands-on-deck situation, but um, we weren't ready. I mean, we were not ready and prepared. And so I think it's really important, even at the early stages of your business, if you're one, two, three people team, to be able to cross-train team members and very quickly, as the, as the uh, business leader or owner, the leader of your team, you have to be putting systems in place putting together procedure lists for how every single function in the business operates, especially when it comes to delivering to the customers and training those team members on how to do every step of the business as if you were doing it yourself. So that there's never a flaw in terms of uh, customer delivery and that there's always a high quality product or service. Um, getting to the end customer. So that was a big, big lesson learned for me. I couldn't agree with you more than that. And I think that, um, I think exactly what you just snapshotted for us there is what separates the owners who are are having the company run them versus the owners who are running their companies. And yeah. I think that, you know, in, that pr in the uh, former example, like I think that that's when you feel just stressed out. You're constantly sort of on call, if you will, and you don't feel like you can get out of it. Now, you say all those words. Yes, create your process. Make sure you have your manuals. Make sure to train your, your team members. But what are the realities of what that really took? Because when you're in the thick of things and you're you're still doing it, it takes a lot of self um actualization to really see like, hey, I need to make sure to block out time to work on top of these things and to create these processes. And it is it is really, really hard. So what what tools did you use to to actually execute that? Like, was there any software that you used to actually create these processes? Any tips that you can give on how to train your team members on how to do these these things? Like what what real things did you take advantage of to make that a reality in your business? So I would say the best resource for being able to, to make that shift as a business owner is the book called The E-Myth. It really talks about 
how to begin to think about putting systems in place in your business. So I definitely recommend that book by Michael Gerber. But what I started to do, Katie, is I created Focus Days. And Focus Days is having different days of the week that were inspired for different business activities. So, for example, Monday might be Make Money Monday. And so that's when I was doing heavy uh, marketing activity or things that would help support and grow the business. Or, um, you know, Wednesday might be a different kind of activity. So I love, or, you know, Friday was Financial Fridays. And so that's when I did all of my bookkeeping. So I made sure that there was a day of the week where I set set aside time to focus on operations. And the best thing that I did was to begin any time that I went through a process, and the process could be something as simple as um, in inviting someone to, you know, be a partner on a project that we were doing. I began to take that email and put it into a document that was our operations manual that was shared with other team members so that those things never had to be recreated again. So now when a new person started, there was an operations manual that they could go to with pre-templated emails along with like a step-by-step procedure list for how to do something. So every time I did something that was a repeatable task in the business, when I did it, I made a step-by-step for how to do it so that it, it wasn't really a, a different effort of building the system, but I just used, a, you know, when I was creating it to document that process so that it could be shared with others. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing some of the, the habits that you had because I think that's very, very, very powerful. So um, I want to now make the shift to what you're currently doing. So you had, you know, you were seven years in Mila by Mail, obviously learned a heck of a lot of stuff about running that company. And if you can sort of catch us up between when that company ended and when um, Sole Purpose Company really, really began. So Mila by Mail started winding down around 2008, 2000, yeah, around 2008. And at the time, what happened, it was, it was really like this nice little transition out of the business. I was really burning out. It was, I was probably in business for five years before I ever took a vacation that was not related to like a business trip, like going to Vegas for a, the magic show or something like that. And, and it wasn't what I wanted wanted it to be. I had started a business for all this freedom and fulfillment and it had like turned into the complete opposite of that. But what did start start happening is that people would often ask me to meet with entrepreneurs to tell talk about how I was able to get so much press in my business without having a PR team or how was I putting together an event that has seven hundred and fifty women show up on a shoestring marketing budget. And so I started going and speaking to different groups and organizations that did entrepreneurial training. And I really developed a love for that. And because I'm a sort of a systematic person, I eventually started putting together curriculum around it because I could see that people really resonated with what I was saying because I was a different kind of speaker. I was a speaker who was also in the trenches running a business as opposed to being an academic. So I started sharing that curriculum, and before I knew it, I had 
launched into a full-on consulting business where I was working with different organizations all over the country to uh, develop and train entrepreneurs. So I got to a point where I was training 3,000 entrepreneurs a year in New York and then got the opportunity to go to South Africa and become the inaugural director of an entrepreneurship center there. So over the last decade, Katie, I have had the opportunity and the the good fortune of training over 10,000 entrepreneurs across the U.S. and Africa. Wow, how amazing is that? Uh, my big question there is after 10,000 entrepreneurs that you have interacted with, what I know that there's probably many of them, but tell us like one or two qualities that you have seen in the entrepreneurs who truly make it and and have the success in the way that they want to have success. So I think that there's probably three qualities, and I think one of them is tenacity. So just the ability to keep going, even when things seem hard, even when they don't know what to do, they just have that inner strength and power to just keep trying to figure it out. Uh, The second thing is I find that they're really lifelong learners. They're not afraid to dive deep in terms of personal growth. Like one of my favorite things is that your business can only grow as much as you do. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs short themselves by not being willing to do the deeper personal work. So when you bang up against a fear, whether it's a fear about pricing or asking for money or whatever that block is you're hitting, you have to be able to do the work that it takes to personally overcome that challenge so that your business can grow. You eventually can become like a roadblock to your business success. You have to be willing to dig deep on the personal growth. And and then I think the third is really taking action. So I find that when people aggressively take action and do what they say they're going to do, and even if they're micro steps, it's just the point of what small action can I take today to move my business forward? It doesn't matter if you're working on the business on a part-time basis or a full-time basis. It's just that consistency of constantly doing something to get the business to move forward. So all of your experience working with entrepreneurs over over that time period ended up getting you thinking about what to do next. You are an entrepreneur by trade. I mean, you're constantly coming up with really great innovative ideas. How did you get the idea for the Sole Purpose Company? So I returned to um, the USP with not thinking that I was going to go back to Africa. So I came home on a trip from uh, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I had got this great offer to go back to Africa to run a young a women's entrepreneurship and leadership program to roll it out across the continent. But what happened is when I got the contract for that opportunity, it was the complete opposite of what they had promised me. And I was like, there's no way that I'm going back on this agreement. I would, I would have essentially been paying them <laughs> to, to work for them. So I was wow. like, okay, this is what's going to happen. So it it was a really tough time because here I was back in the U.S. without a plan. I wasn't exactly sure what was next. I um, was also going through this major food detox and all these things were happening to me. And it was the economy was completely different than when I left. And just when I thought like things couldn't get any any worse than what they were, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
Oh, my goodness. So that really put me on this journey, Katie. It was a, it was a life-altering experience. It put me on the journey of really getting clear about what my purpose was. And I knew that I wanted to continue to work with entrepreneurs, but specifically women entrepreneurs, helping them to have financially sustainable businesses and abundant lives. So then I began the work of building the community of sole purpose companies. What was the kind of the time span of when you were diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, when uh, that whole process kind of, you know, happened? I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013, in the fall of 2013. So not long ago at all. My goodness. Okay. And then, I mean, as we were talking before we got on the air, you were saying that kind of the idea for Soul Purpose Company was really born in the fall of 2013. So that that was really the conglomeration of your whole experience there, right? It was the walk home from getting my diagnosis. Wow. Yeah. That I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I can't like get back on the trolley (laughs) because somebody just told me I have breast cancer and it just didn't seem appropriate to get back on the trolley. So I was like, I need to just walk and, um, and think about this. And literally just that walk home just gave me so much insight. I was struggling all the time before figuring out what was next for me, but you know, sometimes you can have that moment in your life, Katie, and, and all of us have it in different ways. But cancer was just my way, but it, it could be not being happy in a job. It could be um, ending a long-term relationship. All of us can, at some point in life, have that, that transition that says something is not right and I need to make a shift. And my biggest fear at that time, Katie, was not that I might die. My biggest fear was my unrealized potential. Mm. I knew that I was put here on this earth to do something impactful. And the, the thought that, that my life might be cut short and that I might, have the opportun- might not have the opportunity to do that was, like, devastating. So I got really clear very quickly on what I was supposed to be doing and how I was supposed to be spending my time. To the point that my family, like, literally thought I was crazy. They were like, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you more upset? Why aren't you crying? Why aren't you hysterical? Like, you're walking around like nothing has happened. And what they didn't know, Katie, is that I now had something bigger than me to live for. Mm. Wow. And that became my focus, the vision for the future of what full purpose company could be, you know, a a global online community supporting women entrepreneurs, I couldn't think about being sick. I couldn't think about anything except for that. So in between, you know, going to doctors, I would come home and I'd be working on our website and I'd start building the community and that became my driving force. So tell us kind of the whole overlying umbrella of what Soul Purpose Company is all about. What does it house there? What are the pockets of revenue that you have? Like, what is your entire business model? What we offer is an, is an online community. So we have a mastermind program called Soul Circle, where women connect um, in, a, in an online community with each other and support each other's journey. And then we're also starting to have local meetups for our mastermind members. So like right now, we have one happening in Philadelphia. We just hosted one in the Bay Area. Um, and that's 
in September we have New York launching. So um, that's there. Then we have like an online magazine of resources where women can go and find case studies of other successful women and what they have accomplished in their business. But our focus is really this, this mix of not just business success, but abundant life. Because I think oftentimes women feel like they have to defer a lot of their happiness, starting a family, getting married, having children, traveling, all the things that they want in life until they achieve their career goals. And so we're really focused on helping women to show, helping to show women how you can do both and in a whole and fulfilling way that's not stressful. Um, and then we have courses. So coming out in August, we have a yoga and meditation course that is specific for women entrepreneurs that helps them to figure out how to manage uh, stress and anxiety um, in their business um, by using uh, yoga and meditation as a resource that helps them to, to stay balanced. Now, as far as our business model, um, so I do a lot of uh, consulting work. And so that's a significant portion of our, of our revenue. Um, our mastermind uh, community is a fee-based uh, mastermind. And so we have like a basic program and then an elite program. So that's our second um, highest revenue stream. And then we have several courses that are going to be launching in August and September. And I imagine that the course uh, revenue will eventually replace the um, the consulting revenue. So our we want to definitely like shift from doing the course revenue to the consulting revenue. But so so that's that's how our model works essentially. Jamila, what are the kind of creative ways that you are getting the word out there about your company? The creative ways that we're getting the word out there. I do some uh, some guest posting. I'm a regular uh, contributor to. Um, to Black Enterprise Magazine. I also write for the Salesforce.com blog, and I've written for some other um, sites and blogs, so um, guest contributions is a, is a big way. I've also been a speaker for, for many years, so I do a lot of traveling and speaking at different conferences and events. And we have a podcast as well, Soul Purpose Company Podcast, so people find us uh, through the podcast, and then our our local mastermind groups has been another significant uh, contributor to building community because people come, they get to experience the group, and then they ultimately uh, join the online community in that way as well. And what is your big vision for this? Like, where do you see this company going? What is the big purpose for the Sole Purpose Company? <laughs> uh, so the big goal is to elevate the uh, financial success of women entrepreneurs so that they can have, you know, thriving businesses and abundant lives. And I see Sole Purpose Company becoming a global community. You know, I was able to build a community of over 100 women entrepreneurs when I was in South Africa that are also um, interested in having successfully growing, thriving businesses, and we, you know, convene them there, and so I want to keep engaging those women in South Africa and being able to partner them with women that are just like them 
in the Bay Area and in Florida and in Philadelphia and New York and other places all around the globe because I think ultimately all of our businesses, um, while we may be operating in different industries, women are often seeking the same thing. They want the community connection. They want to build their confidence to be able to feel secure and proud about their business and the work that they're doing in the world and that they're making a difference. And they want to feel financially fulfilled and free and that they could be able to use money as a tool to make a difference in their own lives, in the lives of their families, and in the lives of other people. Jamila, what is one of the major ways that you feel like you have evolved as an entrepreneur over all of these years and over all of these experiences? I think the biggest thing, Katie, is being okay with focusing on my purpose and really doing the work that I'm meant to do in the world. So I think that at one point in my entrepreneurial journey, I probably became more like capitalist focused. You know, I started looking at all these people around me who were a lot of my other friends who were entrepreneurs had maybe more like traditional startup models of businesses where they were um, trying to bring on investors and do venture capital. And, and I was under the perception that, you know, we all had to be that kind of business or that, if I wasn't working 80 or 90 hours a week, then I was a slacker. And, and I just got into this really sort of capital-driven um, mentality. And now I'm really more in a value-based mentality and looking at how can I make a difference in the lives of other women entrepreneurs. And I think that my whole life, you know, not just my business, but my entire life has opened up from operating from that perspective. It's allowed me to be fully free and present with who I am. It's allowed me to go deeper in terms of my friendships and personal connections. Um, it's allowed me to meet great people like you, Katie, and, and be able to, to partner with them and do great work together. So I think that um, sort of back to what I said earlier, that deep personal work is the best work like, being an entrepreneur is the best personal growth work that anyone can do, um, especially when you're willing to actually do the work. So I think that's been the biggest shift for me. And I would really, um, you know, just invite people to, to, you know, go deep. I can definitely recommend different, you know, books and, and uh, things that people can dive into that can help them with starting that journey. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? People are free to email me. Um, my email address is Jamila, J-A-M-I-L-A, at soulpurposecompany.com, and that's a S-O-U-L, soul. And uh, our website is soulpurposecompany.com, and I'm also on Twitter at Jamila Payne, and that's P-A-Y-N-E for Payne. And all of this information is going to be on the show notes for today's conversation, and Jamila, I just want to thank you so much. I am so juiced up after this entire conversation. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I just wish you the best of success in, in what you're doing. Thank you so much, Katie. It's been such a pleasure. And then I'll also say I did put together a Boost Your Business uh, workshop for the Biz Women Rock community. So I will... <laughs> 
So that's a, a, like a free workshop that I do, and I will um, share that with you, Katie, so that you can put that in the show notes for anyone who's interested in that. Awesome. We will definitely do that. Awesome. Thanks so much, girl. Thank you. You can get the show notes for today's show at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 76. And there you will find a direct link to Jamila's website, as well as some of the resources that we had talked about here today. I absolutely loved Jamila. I specifically loved when she talked about her focus days and how she really works on top of her business and makes time for that and how she sort of has set aside days of the week, money Mondays, you know, financial Fridays um, to work on the operation of her business. I really loved that very, very true nugget. She had so many great little nuggets of wisdom that I hope that you really take any one of those and put them to action in your business. I really wanna thank you so much for being here today. If you loved this conversation, please share it with somebody else. I would just love for somebody else to hear this story and to get inspired by it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Five hundred bucks a week in high school? Are you kidding me? That girl is smart. All I was concerned about was sports in high school. That's all. <laughs>